Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me today is the Manny Garcia O'Kelly Davis of the Ringer because he talks to a guy named Mike through a computer terminal for a living. It's Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach. Wow. Hello. You a Robert A. Heinlein fan? You familiar with The Moon is a Harsh Mistress? I am a Heinlein fan. Go science fiction. I wanted to ask you a question uh, because we are recording this a little early this week. It's Wednesday. And I want to first wish you a happy Scott Boris strained simile day. Hence the, the strained simile in your own introduction. I specifically wanted to ask you about what I think is the most widely circulated of Boris's analogies today about Chris Bryant. Uh, being Mm -hmm. like Sean Connery, because for among other reasons, he is always on the hunt for October. And as someone who I consider an expert on that film, I want to know your take on that, because was Sean Connery on the hunt for October? Not really. No, he was. And many people have pointed this out, a flaw in uh, in Scott Boris's metaphor day. Uh, I I would have to I would have to concede that, you know, Craig Calcaterra said, actually, wouldn't that make him the Scott Glenn of this uh, project. And I, I think that's a hundred percent right. So yeah, watch the movie, Scott Boris, a, a man who, who's, I respect a great deal as a literary and oratorical figure. I think one of our leading lights in the world of, of strained figurative language, which anybody who's read my writing or has listened to this podcast knows is a, a great interest of mine, but yeah, I think he left some meat on the bone there. He did, to be fair, offer about six different movies in that analogy. Yes. So it's a lot to ask that he would remember the details of all six. Yeah. Uh, you know, one could say that this is what editors are for, but I don't want to throw stones at that particular glass house of, of <laughs> populating your work too heavily with jokes, uh, needing to have some edited out. Um, so what we're going to do today, and this is relevant to Scott Boris's appearance at the GM meetings uh, is we're going to go through the top 20 or so free agents uh, or a selection of the top 20 or so free agents and deliver our preferred destinations. So this is not predicting where these guys are going to end up. This is, I think, with a certain extent of realism, uh, where we would be most interested to see these players land, whether for personal or competitive reasons or the direction that we think the the team would fit. So uh, I don't know if you'd even call this a prediction. I think this is just this is a wish list, right? But sometimes they can become predictions. I remember when we did this a couple of years ago, I wanted Manny Machado to go to the Padres as the start of my Padres romance. And then he did. So it could end up happening even if I think my picks range from the more realistic to a, a few more outlandish ones. Yeah, there's a mix. Uh, you have the Rays signing a top free agent, which I know that's which definitely is outlandish. Out I'm just looking at our, our document. Uh, so let's start with the with. Uh, one of the biggest names on there, Carlos Correa. Yeah, there are five shortstops, so we might as well get through them first. I have Carlos Correa going to the Tigers. I think it's kind of funny that he has been rumored for the Tigers because of his connection to AJ Hinch. Like, 
a lot of these players have a lot of connections with various franchises. And I don't know how much AJ Hinch being there actually matters, but I think Detroit is on the precipice of coming out of their rebuild. They have a lot of pitchers who are either at the major league level already or about to be full-time starters. They have Green and Torkelson and their prospects coming up. And I think they need to strike now. They need to make the the John Lester Cubs move or the Jason Worth Nationals move to take steps forward now because if they wait another winter or two to sign guys, all of a sudden those young pitchers are entering arbitration and they don't have as much money available. I think they should strike now, especially given the fact that there's only one other good team in the AL Central. The Jason Worth Nationals move. Surely you mean the Manny Machado Padres move. Well, I can't bring up the I'm going to bring up the Padres a couple times later. I can't bring them up too much early on. I think the ship has sailed on San Diego Padres oversaturation. (laughs) So just just let it go. I think that's a it would be a very fun destination for him uh, because for the reasons you outlined. Also, he's 27 years old. He just turned 27 uh, about six weeks ago. Which would put him it, which means that even if the Tigers aren't ready for him, he's going to be in his prime. You know, he's going to be an all star caliber player, one presumes, for the next six or seven years. So it's a really long window. It buys the Tigers a lot of flexibility. I think that that's, uh, that would be a really fun destination for, for him, as much as I'm, you know, still struggling to get my head around the idea of him playing anywhere but Houston because of how important he's been to that city. There would also be an, an interesting, role reversal for Correa who came up yes. as the young guy for Houston and then if he is the the proven veteran leading Torkelson and Green and those younger players there that would be a new flavor for him obviously like Miguel Cabrera is still there but it, I, I can't really picture Correa as that guy so I think it would be interesting to see him adopt that role there wasn't really a guy like that on the 2015 Astros as I'm sort of racking my brain about this but uh, maybe you know, maybe he's the Jason Castro of this Tigers team. By 2017, um, they had like Brian McCann and Beltron. Right, they traded for Verlander midseason. So, but by that point, Correa was an established star. Uh, so it's I don't know. I guess it's not a perfect metaphor. I want to see him on the Phillies for for a couple. Okay, reasons. Phillies fan. Right. You want to see the so, best free agent go to your favorite so team? I wonder why. One, the first reason is naked partisan interest. Uh, the second, which ties into the second reason, which is that uh, the Phillies, you know, for about 15 years had Jimmy Rollins at shortstop and I got spoiled and I've been very disappointed with what they've had since. <laughs> the third is I think Carlos Correa has massive but ineffable Bryce Harper vibes. And I would love to see those two personalities uh tied together for the next 10 years or so. I think it would be a very interesting dynamic, not only on the field, but but off the field and in the clubhouse. And I'm like, that's just if we're playing chemistry, I think that would be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, I don't have credit to the Phillies, mainly because the next guy on our list, Corey Seager, I have going to the Phillies. And my pitch for Corey Seager to the Phillies, Mike, I want you to, to picture this in your head, a t-shirt. And the t-shirt includes Corey Seager, the t-shirt includes Kyle Seeger, also free agent this winter. They are both wearing Phillies hats, and at the top of the shirt it says, The City of Brotherly Love. Okay. It would make it would make uh make it that very was easy on the, on less the Phillies of an, marketing department. Less of an enthusiastic response than I was hoping for. Yeah, I, am I was excited by this idea. So one of the reasons that I like Correa better than Seeger for the Phillies is I don't know what the Phillies are going to do with Alec Bohm. And I think he moves to a corner probably sooner rather than later. I don't, you know, I don't know how long I want to keep Corey at second base. Putting, you know, Kyle at third, I I don't I don't know. I guess it could work. You know, well there were segments of the Phillies infield that that couldn't have been much worse uh last season. But I think just if we're getting one of the big shortstops, I think I'd rather have the, the Phillies get Correa than Okay, Seager. Just but- Carlos Correa doesn't have a brother who's also in the majors. You're forgetting about that a, very important. He has a brother part. who's in the. I think he's in the Astros minor league system. Oh, now. Okay. He, had, he had played it. Played at Lamar, I think. So we can wait. Uh, we don't have this. An, is, this is a problem with the Phillies. Is that no matter what, they always get the wrong brother. Um, it's a, actually a, a problem throughout um, throughout Philadelphia sports in general. Uh, but you know the. The Phillies had Ken Brett and Mike Maddox and Jeremy Giambi. Uh, so the Flyers tried this a while back. They had 
uh, a talented young forward named Braden Shen, and just to who's who had a brother named Luke, who was a defenseman for the Maple Leafs. And they said, just to make sure we get the right brother, we're going to get both of them. And Luke was a total bust. So I don't know, you know, it was uh, an interesting gambit that has been tried before unsuccessfully getting both brothers to make sure you get the right one. So I don't know. I don't think we have enough brothers playing together in baseball. The brothers play together all the time in the NBA, for instance, the Lopez's, mm-hmm. the Morris's. We don't see that as much in baseball. I know like the Ripkins played together, but that was a very long time ago. And I would like to see more of that. Kyle and Corey being free agents at the same time gives us the best opportunity we've had in a while. Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, the, I, I had Corey to the Rangers. Um, okay. For, Similar reasons that you had to the actually the exact same reasons that, that you put Correa to the Tigers, which is that he has connections to the manager and he could be a guy they could build around in the long term. So we could just rehash that entire argument. Um, but you know, we talk about Corey Seager's Corey Seager's uh de facto brothers. You know, he was practically raised as a young big leaguer by Chase Utley, who's legendary in, in Philadelphia. So we could get the entire extended Seager Utley family back together. I'm glad you have the Rangers getting one of the big free agents because right now, do you know who uh, the Rangers will be get paying the most money to? Which players paying next season? The most money. Yeah. Oh God. Did they? Re- is it like retained salary on Kyle Gibson? It is retained salary on Odor is number okay. one. Retained salary on Andrus is number two, okay. and then number three, making all of five point two million dollars, is Jose Leclerc. So he's the first guy actually on the on the Rangers who's getting money from them next season. They have uh, quite a bit to spend, I would say. And a brand brand spanking new stadium. So it's uh yeah, I have the the Rangers connected to a couple guys. I mean, that's I liked the early to mid 2010s versions of the Rangers so much. I'll, I think I'll always have a, a soft spot for that franchise, even though there's nothing left of of uh, of those teams. But I I would like to see them at least look like they're trying. Uh, particularly considering they opened that new stadium and and immediately gutted the roster. Next on the list, we have Marcus Semien, and we both have the same team for him. I want him to return to the Blue Jays, mainly because you talked about the early 2010s Rangers. I'm thinking of the mid-2010s Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. and as I've mentioned on this pod numerous times before, just the sheer amount of right-handed power in that lineup. We saw that last season, and let's keep a good thing going. Bring back Semi and make that lineup as right-handed and powerful as possible. Uh, just brings back so many great memories, and I think this team is going to be really, really good next year as long as they don't lose like Semi and Ray, who were two of the most important pieces in the almost playoff berth last season. Say, say nothing of, of George Springer too. Yeah, I. You know, there, there. Uh, some reports that Simeon wants to go back to the West Coast, which is one of those things that us on the outside, you know, can't really. I guess we could be aware of, but it's it's a um, an intangible factor. Uh, but I think the Blue Jays were so good last year and so unlucky not to make the playoffs that just don't mess with a good thing, particularly with this infield, particularly the way he clicked with with Bichette um, and Vlad Guerrero. So I just think it makes all all the sense in the world for both him and the Blue Jays to to keep that going. Next on the list, we have another agreement. This is the fourth shortstop, and that is Trevor Story. I have I, I didn't feel as confident about this yeah. wish as any of the others, but I have Story going to the Yankees, mainly because I do want the Yankees to get a shortstop. I think they have finally admitted that Torres is not going to stick there. They have a wide open hole, and because I have the other four sh- shortstops going to other teams, Story was kind of the, the one guy left at the end of the night. Yeah, there are... So there are a couple of reasons I had story. I like you. I didn't feel that strongly about uh, about him to the Yankees. I think Seager could be a fit there. I I don't know. We could talk about Javi Baez when it comes, but I think he could be a really interesting fit with the Yankees if if we really wanted to to get <laughs> wild. But it's story. Well, first of all, you filled out this list first, and you put the idea in my head, and it made sense. Two, I want to move Glaber Torres off of shortstop at all costs. And three, for the sake of, of my boss, Ben Glicksman, who uh, appeared on the show a couple weeks ago as our opener. Uh, ben and I have three different types of conversations ever. We have like strict, professionally necessary conversations. We have conversations about the Yankees middle infield defense and we have conversations about how great he thinks Trevor story is. So I think just <laughs> as a 
just as as a gift to Ben, it would make somebody I like a lot very, very happy. So that's good enough reason to to root for for this for me. Story was definitely worse in 2021 than he had been in any of the previous few seasons. Um, so I, I think he's kind of gotten lost in the mix. Correa and Seager definitely the top of the class, and then Semyon had such a good season. Story was up with with the top guys. I think if he had reached free agency a season ago, but now he is a little older than than Correa and Seager are. He didn't have as productive a 2021. I think even if you look at his defensive metrics, they're kind of all over the place depending on which source you look at. So he's definitely not going to sign as big a deal as Correa or Seager do, but I think he could sneakily be one of the better free agents in this class as long as like 2021 is more of a fluke than a sign of what's going to come going forward. And the three guys we have ahead of them on this list have all been inconsistent or intermittently injured at, at one point or another, have have had questions about their defense. So that goes for for everybody. I think stories, he just doesn't excite me as much as the first three guys, which, you know, I guess might be a little bit unfair to him because he'd be the top shortstop in most free agent classes. And now you can make an argument he's not even in the top three. Um, but I think he's just a good, reliable player with, you know, with power who can handle himself at shortstop. And I think his his physical skills would translate well to second or third base if if the time comes for him to to move off the position. So yeah, I I just think he makes a lot of sense for a team that just needs a reliable bat. I don't know if he's like a franchise defining player the way I think Correa is in a way of the way I think Seager could be. Um, but for the Yankees, they don't need that. They just need somebody who's going to hit and story's going to hit. Next up, Javi Baez. I have sticking with the Mets. Mainly because I think the Baez-Lindor double play combination over a long period of time would just be so much fun to watch on a, a nightly basis to see all the defensive highlights they have. Uh, Baez and Lindor were part of one of the most entertaining teams I've watched in the last half decade, which was Team Puerto Rico at the World Baseball Classic. Like, I really considered putting Correa and Baez both in the Mets column for this exercise just because that infield was so much fun watching them romp through the tournament, beating some of the favored bigger countries. So I want Baez and Lindor at least to stick together. Baez, like, he started off slow in his first couple weeks with the Mets, and then he had the whole thumbs-down incident, but he was awesome in September by the time the Mets had fallen out of the race. So it's not like he would have proved himself a bad fit in New York or anything. So I think, you know, keep him with Lindor, have them be fun together. And it's not like the Mets don't need infielders either. I could see that. I just think the, it's been so, there's so much like bad history in, in that short two months tenure in New York, even though he did come out as a, as as a plus player overall, just that start and the thumbs down incident, I think makes him a little bit of a hard sell for, for the Mets. So I had him going to the white Sox, which is a team that needs a second baseman now. Uh, and that's fun. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the Lindor Baez double play combination being, being fun. Guess what's going to be even more fun is Tim Anderson and Baez. If that's the, the route they decide to go with Yoan Moncada at third base, I think some of the flaws in his game might be masked uh, if you get enough good on base guys around him in that lineup. Um, and I think the the White Sox have that better than the Mets. I I don't like I don't like Baez as much as if if he has to be like a carrying leg of you know or a foundational leg of your offense. And I think he he would have to be with the Mets, and he wouldn't have to be with the White Sox. I'm picturing that lineup with Baez in it now, and you've convinced me this is a better choice. Well done. And I mentioned the Yankees. If story goes elsewhere, I think he'd be a good fit at shortstop. Just take care, you know, take care of business on on defense. Sort of add to that good defense, great power, lots of swing and miss kind of vibe that they've got throughout their uh, their lineup. I think like he could turn into a lightning rod. He could exacerbate some of the the problems that that they have around that team. But I think he'd be a very interesting, unpredictable element to add to a team that I think. You know, could have used a little bit more get up and go last year. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, 
you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's go to someone who is, from all these shortstops to the least shortstoppy player in Major League Baseball, Freddie Freeman. Remember Uh, when he played third base for a second to accommodate Matt Adams? Yeah, that was, I don't know, I I guess I'll I'll, um, I'll revise my, my wish it's from Atlanta to any team that will play Freddie Freeman at third base. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, Freddie Freeman going back to Atlanta. Like, given the run he just went on, given the run the team just went on, given how much he's meant to the franchise for the last decade, I can't envision him going elsewhere at this point. Like, I know they didn't come to an extension dur- uh, during the season, but. I think of anyone in the top 10 that we're going to go through here, Freeman returning to his original team both makes the most sense and is what I want the most just because it would feel so weird to see him in another uniform now. Yeah, there. I think there are two players that we're going to talk about, maybe three, who I could see signing before we get a CBA just to get everything out of the way to return to the the teams that had them in, in 2021. You know, I, I think I could see Freeman doing the Albert Pujols 2011 thing you know, I th- I think we're not that that possibility is not as far fetched as as maybe you might think, um, but it just it seems like he wants to to return to Atlanta. It seems like the team wants him back. It I don't know. I think it would be foolish on the Braves Braves part with all this goodwill that they've built up with all the the under market contracts that they have guys signed to not to let Freeman stay. At his, you know, at his current value for as long as he wants. I think that that he's a, a re- retire the number type of player for that team. Absolutely, and especially if you look at his timeline, he became a star basically as Chipper Jones was on his way out. Mm-hmm. So if Freddie Freeman stays in Atlanta another decade, you can span forty years worth of just two players, and that kind of legacy, that lineage, is really cool. And you don't see that passing the torch moment all that often. From that, I mean, passing the torch, I don't know if you remember a few years ago when there was a huge snowstorm in the Atlanta area mm-hmm. and they they sent everybody home from work and school at like one o'clock p.m. after it had started snowing. And there, I don't know, you could probably count the entire, the number of snow plows and salt trucks in the entire state of Georgia on one hand. So it caused the traffic jam to end all traffic jams. So Freddie Freeman was stuck in his car on like I-85 or something and tweeted about how he was how uh how he was stranded. And so Chipper Jones put on his hunting gear, <laughs> got on his ATV, asked him where he was, and went out and and retrieved him uh in the middle of the blizzard. And uh, there's a really funny image that one of them uh tweeted out of a very cold looking Freddie Freeman on like huddled onto the back of his of chippers four wheeler. Um, so that, that one ATV ride, like you said, can end up defining 20, you know, 40 years of, of Braves baseball. Maybe on that ATV ride, chipper taught him how to play third base. Maybe. Well, not like chipper knows that much about <laughs> how to play third base. Um, all right, let's go to someone who does know a thing or two about playing third base. Chris Bryant. I think, you know, where I want him to go. Where do you want him to go? So, one thing I didn't comment on earlier with bias the White Sox is how much that would anger Cubs fans who have grown to love him over oh, the last yeah. few years. And I have, I think, the same 
dynamic with Bryant here. I want Bryant to go to Milwaukee, and that would very much anger Cubs fans who view the Cubs-Milwaukee rivalry as almost as strong as Cubs-St. Louis at this point, I think. Uh, But I want Milwaukee to... Oh, yes. Being here, Cubs fans, and like they invade Milwaukee because tickets are... It's like cheaper to drive from Chicago to Milwaukee and get tickets there than to get tickets at Wrigley. So then Milwaukee started like offering uh, tickets earlier to Wisconsin residents than Illinois residents. And that really angered the Cubs fans. And they were also... You know, battling back and forth at the top of the division for a few years. It's a it's gotten really okay. fierce. So it's it's exactly the Phillies Nats rivalry is what you're, <laughs> you're describing. Which I guess like if you had said five years ago or ten years ago that the Phillies Nats rivalry was as vitriolic as like Phillies Braves, I guess I would have made the same reaction. But anyway, that's I don't know, that's interesting. It's but, it's good to have have boots on the ground in Illinois to to give us the latest happenings. But uh, I want Milwaukee to get a bat. They have such a good pitching staff, but then as we saw when they played Atlanta in the playoffs, they just couldn't score any runs unless Rowdy Tellez was hitting homers. So I think Bryant would first give them a a bat in the lineup, a right-handed bat, which like they have Willie Adamas, but Yelich if he bounces back and Telez and Colton Wong are all lefties. So Bryant gives them a right-handed bat. And I, I think his positional versatility fits really well with what Craig Council likes to do with the personnel they have on that team already. So I think this would be really surprising if it happened, given that Milwaukee doesn't tend to go for free agents like this. They like to wait and, and get Jackie Bradley Jr. or Yasmani Grandal when yeah, they have well, it. They've picked their spots. You know, you mentioned Grandal. They did the same thing with Lorenzo Cain, too. Yeah, so Lorenzo I, Cain is the one big one I can think of. So maybe I, I think it's unrealistic given that I think Bryant, with his positional versatility, is going to be very appealing for a lot of different teams, including the one you're about to mention. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't add a great bat to Milwaukee this winter. Yeah, one thing that to the positional flexibility thing um, that it. I was sort of it struck me as is a little unusual, but I I don't know if you caught the um the Stephanie Epstein Sports Illustrated article on Bryant from around the start of the playoffs, but she mentioned I mean this was a minor detail, but she mentioned that he enjoys moving all over the field and re- you know really likes uh filling in rather than playing in, in one position, which you know it sort of goes against what you hear about most players. But that would definitely give I mean that would fit in with what the Brewers do, with what Craig Council does, a lot of what Bryant did under Joe Madden in, in Chicago too. So yeah, I definitely think that makes a lot of sense, but I've been talking about this since May. Uh, I think if you asked me if I'd rather have Correa to the Phillies or Bryant to the Mariners, I would pick Bryant to the Mariners, <laughs> partisan interests notwithstanding. I If you asked like, would I rather have the Phillies win the World Series in 22 or Bryant to the Mariners, I'd have to think about it. Uh, I want this more than I want any other free agent signing. Uh, in the in the past five years, I think it like there's so much so much fleeting optimism about this Mariners team for the past ten years. They've gotten so close. They've developed uh, they've developed players. They've talked a big game. Jerry Depoto's talked about making trades. You know, ownership has talked about going all in. This is it's the put up or shut up move. It's getting Chris Bryant, and even if he doesn't play a third base every day, you want to. Make people forget completely about the sort of awkward ending to Kyle Seeger's time in Seattle. Get Chris Bryant, and they'll forget about Kyle Seeger by opening day. Um, I think he can stabilize an offense that's been a little inconsistent. He can provide depth in the outfield for a team that's got a lot of talent out there, but has struggled to keep guys healthy and in the lineup. Um, it just makes all the sense in the world. I can't imagine a more perfect fit, and I would like to see Bryant as the the face of a resurgent Mariners team that hasn't made the playoffs in in 20 years. And like what better signal to the fans, to the public, to the league, to the Astros at the top of that division that you're not screwing around anymore than going out and signing, you know, the former MVP. And I think that fits with a lot of what we're wish casting here, which is that most of the teams we've referenced, the Tigers, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, the, the Mets, Seattle are teams that, are close to being contenders, but didn't make the playoffs last year. Like we have Freddie Freeman going back to Atlanta, but that's kind of unique because it's so much fun to think about these teams that are on the verge, actually taking a step forward. And Bryant to the Mariners would be a perfect example of that. Correa to the Tigers, et cetera. Teams that need 
not maybe not one more piece, but one big piece to signal to the fan base to signal that the front office is going to continue to add. I think those are the most fun moves in the winter, more so than like if the Dodgers added another superstar. Uh, just these fan bases that haven't had as much to go on in the last few seasons. So I would, you know, I want the Brewers to get a bat, but if Bryant specifically went to the Mariners, I'm all for it. And another thing I'll say that, and not to you know reduce everything to my own small like circle of lived experience, but one thing I think about a lot is in the middle of 2017, the Astros didn't do anything at the non-waiver trade deadline, and Dallas Keuchel flipped his lid in front of the media, and I think that put a lot of pressure on them to to trade for Justin Verlander at the the August trade deadline, and I think that Bryant has the gravitas, has the you know the respect is somebody who's been there, who's won everywhere, who's hunted for October in Scott Boris's world to put <laughs> pressure on DePoto and ownership to, you know, to put their money where their mouth is. And uh, I think getting a guy like that, um, who feels the freedom to, to speak out, um, to speak his mind, uh, if the team's not performing up to snuff, um, I think that could be really good for, for an organization that's, struggled to to really try for the past 20 years want to move on to some pitchers so speaking of teams that uh maybe were close last year but uh were they actually that close or did they finish with a losing record Uh, i have the padres getting max scherzer who might not be the best free agent pitcher now in four years but i think certainly next year the year after that is either the best or second best uh do I need to talk about why I want Scherzer to go to the Padres? Because I want the Padres to be really good. I think as the season showed, they could use some more pitching and Scherzer's the best there is. It's amazing that we still think of the Padres as needing pitching as much as they've invested and developed in pitching the past couple of years. It's Did you see who they were pitching in September? They had Jake Arrieta yeah, making no, starts. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like They absolutely need more pitching, but it's amazing that they're in the position of needing more pitching considering how much pitching they've already acquired. I also think like aesthetically a Scherzer Darvish top of the rotation would just mm. be so much fun to watch. Mm. Love it. And as somebody who is biased because he watches lots of Padres games, that would uh, appeal to me. Um, I think that's great. I think that's my second, uh, second favorite landing spot for Scherzer apart from him just staying in LA. I like, I really liked the vibe of of Dodgers level or Dodgers era Max Scherzer. He was great down the stretch for them. I like him as the head of a three-headed monster with Bueller and, and Kershaw. Um, that partnership seemed to work really well down the uh down the stretch. He reportedly also wants to go live on the West Coast. All these people wanting to go live on the West Coast. I don't understand it. Uh, but uh yeah, I think I think he's one of the one of the few uh top free agents that I would just rather see stay put with a a winning team. Yeah, it did feel right when he was uh, in LA down the stretch. I think the next pitcher on our list is Robbie Ray, who's the other... I mean, Robbie Ray could win a Cy Young Award next week. I wouldn't be surprised if he won. Uh, I do not have him sticking with the Blue Jays, even if I think that they are more likely to re-sign him than Simeon, given what we talked about earlier. I, I would rather they get Simeon just because he makes that lineup so much better. Instead, I have Robbie Ray going to the Rays, and that is only like 15% because of the name joke. I was, yeah, I I wondered that as I was looking at your list. Like, is this just for for the joke? But I mean, I'm like, glad to see there, it's not only, it's not only a bit, but it's, it's not. It's partially not for the headlines yeah. that would arise, but I do think Tampa could use a starting pitcher given that we don't know what's happening with Tyler Glasnow's injury. He probably won't pitch much, if at all, next season. Uh, Charlie Morton's gone, Blake Snell's gone. They showed in their loss to Boston. They they just didn't have enough starting pitching. And maybe the Rays could slap some like anonymous AAA guys together and form a great rotation. And, and that's certainly possible and probably what they will try to do. But since this is a wish-casting exercise, as you and I have talked about before, Tampa could sign a really good free agent and still be under $100 million in payroll. They could give Robbie Ray $25 million a year and still have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, and I think he would just be so great for that rotation. Give them, you know, because Tampa is so good at churning out good arms, a lower-level pitcher like Marcus Stroman, who we're going to talk about next, he would make them better, but Marcus Stroman doesn't have, I think, the ceiling that Robbie Ray does that Robbie Ray showed this year. So I want Ray to go to the Rays because I think he fits the team's biggest need and would also just like 
be out of the ordinary of what Tampa does actually investing in a free agent. I like that. I think it's never going to happen in a million years. Of course um, not. Yeah. So speaking of things that are never going to happen in a million years, uh, I think I speak for everybody on the show when I say I want the Angels to make the playoffs at some point before Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are collecting social security. Um, and this is a, uh, we talked about this catch 22 while we were discussing this, mm-hmm. this bit, which is what do the angels need? They need pitching. And what happens whenever, whenever the angels go invest in pitching that the pitchers that, that they sign either get hurt or forget how to throw strikes or, you know, come down with diphtheria. I had Carlos Rodon going to the angels for a second and then thought about what that would mean dare. for him. And don't I crossed you that out. Dare. <laughs> I mean, it's near like Orioles pitching prospect vibes out there. So Robbie Ray is somebody that, you know, if I were trying to get a free agent pitcher, I don't know how much I'd trust the past year of Robbie Ray based on some of the lows that he's had in the not too distant past. I think, you know, you'd have to be really secure in the, um, in your evaluation of him as a pitcher. And, you know, I think that he's very high upside, but kind of risky. And I just, this angels pick is just trying to shoot the moon with it. Like just go all in, just get the guy. And what's the worst that can happen? He fails. Well, the safe guy that you, uh, that you would assign is going to fail anyway. So, you know, what's the risk? Yeah, I, I like this. I want the angels to get like four different pitchers, kind of like how they drafted yes. 20 different pitchers. But, uh, I also don't want any of the pitchers I like to break. Um, so you didn't put Marcus Sherman on the angels though. I actually, I think Marcus Stroman to the Cardinals is maybe the pick on this entire list that I feel most confident about. And that's because Marcus Stroman is a good pitcher. He's not a great pitcher because he doesn't have the kinds of strikeout numbers that we see from from Scherzer or Robbie Ray. But put him on the Cardinals, which just had a record number of gold glove winners. Let him generate soft contact and see Tommy Edmond and Goldschmidt and Arenado and Bader and Carlson and all of them, you know, Tyler O'Neill swallow up all of the balls in play that Stroman allows. Uh, I think sometimes it can be overrated. Like when the the Mets traded for Francisco Lindor, it was, oh, look, Stroman's going to be pitching in front of Lindor now. But the number of Stroman's ground balls... also pitched in front of the rest of the Mets' well, defense. That too, so. but the number of like ground balls hit in the shortstop area that Lindor could get that an average shortstop could not get is not that huge over the course of the season, but extend that to an entire roster because the Cardinals have above average fielders everywhere on the diamond. And I think that would actually make a difference. So I want Stroman to the Cardinals because I I think that would be the best place for him. And also, as we talked about in September, the Cardinals were winning a lot, but outside Adam Wainwright, they had zero good starters last season. Granted, you would expect Jack Flaherty to come back, but I don't know if Wainwright's going to reproduce his 2021 so they could use some starting pitching too to stay in the hunt in the nl central so i think this would be a great match of player and team could be a very fun rotation between uh between strom and flaherty miles michaelis it's so in addition to the to the outstanding infield defense i think that 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 makes a lot of sense that's a very intelligent uh very zach like prediction or wish i should say i'm going to washington um I am very, very interested to see the course of this Nationals rebuild because the, you, know, you see a team tear down like this, the modal outcome is we just never hear from them again. It's 10 years before they they contend. And they've got a ticking clock on them because Juan Soto is going to be a free agent sooner than, uh, sooner than people think. And they're going to need to convince him, and this is something that Scott Boris said today, they're going to need to convince him that they mean to win. And what's interesting about this is the way that they tore everything down and rebuilt is the prospects that they targeted are very close to major league ready. Most of them, you know, um, Ruiz and, and, and gray, um, Adams, those guys were already in the majors by the end of last season. So I think this is going to be a quick turnaround to say nothing of Steven Strasburg still there. Patrick Corbin's still there. Um, they've still got big, you know, not, I guess they've uh, disassembled a big chunk of their, World Series winning core, but some of those guys are still around and will be around for the next few years. And I think Stroman is, I don't think you need an ace because I think if Strasburg's not an ace, then you're not going anywhere anyway, uh, at least for the next couple seasons. But you just need somebody who's going to put together solid innings, who knows what he's doing, who's still young enough at 30 that he's going to be, he's going to still be on the team if you sign him to, to a four-year deal and still be effective when Soto's making that decision of whether he's going to leave or not. So I just think 
as as a caretaker, as somebody who can do a job, I, I like him on the Nationals as as somebody who can just keep that team competitive uh, and wait for the the big name prospects to to come back up and, and fill out around the the rest of that team. Yeah, I don't think the Nationals should sign someone like Scherzer, who is most useful in 2022, but yeah. getting someone like Stroman or some of the other pitchers we'll talk about later who would still be good in 2024 makes a lot of sense. Particularly if if you can get the the AAV down, you know, I, I think this is less about Stroman in particular than it is somewhat of that caliber, somebody that, that who you think you can get multiple years out of. Um, so let's, uh, oh, we actually went through this a little bit faster than I expected. We've got a speed round coming up. So I guess if we're really interested in, in some of these guys, uh, we could take a little bit longer to talk about them. Uh, but the first one that you had is Carlos Rodon. Um, another Scott Boris uh, metaphor tied him to Auguste Rodin, the the sculptor who has a museum in Philadelphia on Ben Franklin Parkway. Uh, not in the, the art museum, but down the road from the, the art museum. So I took that to mean is he's a lock for the Phillies, uh, which I would like as, as a big fan of his. But uh, I would like to see him go to Houston. I think that one thing that that I dogged the the Astros for a lot this off or this this postseason was they had a lot of like number three starters, and they didn't have a guy who can go out and take the ball and just shut an offense down in a playoff game. And when Rodon's healthy, that's what he can do. And I think that you know maybe this will be less true without Brent Strom uh, on that major league staff, but uh, the Astros can get a lot out of guys with sliders like Rodon's. And so I think he'd be a good fit there. Also, it sort of brings full circle uh, the mistake that they made in, in 2014, not taking him first overall, which I'm still a little sore about. So I I think that makes a, you know, and we've seen them take a chance on guys who maybe we've maybe were falling a little bit short of their full potential um, and really come good. Garrett Cole is the the most obvious example of that, but also Charlie Morton, Wade Miley. I think Rodon could be uh a rich man's version of of somebody like that. If the Astros tried out a Rodon McCullers top of the rotation next year, will you move back to Houston? Yes, yes, I will move back to Houston. Um, where do you want him to go? Have you given this any thought? I can't. Like, I know it will cause his body to break, but he makes so much sense for the Angels because I think, especially with Otani, they're going to run a six-man rotation a lot of the time, and that would allow, I think, Rodon to keep his innings down to give him a little less wear and tear. So I have him to the Angels as well, in addition to another pitcher we're going to talk about, but I don't feel happy for his elbow if that is the case. Well, one thing that I'm interested in the Angels doing, I mean, they've obviously they've got Otani, they've got Jared Walsh, but you know what Carlos Rodon was in college. I assume the answer is a two-way player. A two-way player. Yeah. Just get everybody. Get Jake Cronenworth. Get get JD Davis. Get get everybody. Um, get Brendan McKay. What's Brendan McKay up to these days? Uh, so I, I think you've got these guys um, in a certain order. I think you know if we're ranking left-handed pitchers in this free agent crop, it goes Rodon, and then it goes Clayton Kershaw. Uh, but he's next on the list. We just have Dodgers written down. I don't think that's that controversial, but I want to. Would you try it if you were the Giants? <laughs> <laughs> so you make that call, right? Just like to see, like, what's the number? Let's see what the number is. Yeah, you make the call. I think so. Kershaw did not get a qualifying offer that has since been explained by Andrew Friedman as they didn't want to force Kershaw to make a decision on a tight deadline. And I think that makes sense given everything he's done for the franchise. It does concern me a little bit that the Dodgers know the most about his medicals and didn't offer him a QO. I don't really know what that means. I'll note that like on the MLB trade rumors, top 50 free agents posts, they had predictions of where each free agent would sign. They offered, I think three predictions, not one of them had Kershaw returning to the Dodgers. And I was kind of devastated by that because I can't remember the last time a player change teams and the resulting jersey player combination looked so strange to me as what would ensue if Kershaw left the Dodgers. He is, I think, more than anyone else actively in the majors right now tied in my mind to one specific franchise because he has been with the Dodgers for so long. They made so many playoff runs. There was such a narrative. He himself was so good winning all those awards. Like It just would seem so wrong to me. He's still young enough that he, if this 
elbow problem gets behind him could have a, a long career left and it would feel so wrong if he spends like five years pitching for teams other than LA. I think about that a lot is the, <clears throat> you know, does this guy look weird in his new uniform? And I think we Verlander was one of those missed opportunities, but he went to another team with blue and orange uniforms. So they, it didn't like, it didn't look as jarring. Same with Cole Hamels who left the Phillies and spent the rest of his career bouncing around from one red, white, and blue team to another. Uh, but Kershaw going to the Giants would be like the ultimate jarring. Like, it would be like Jeter, like Jeter leaving the Yankees. Like that's the the reason we don't but have. But he a, didn't leave. Yeah, he didn't leave right. the Yankees is no, the that's, point. That, that's my point is those guys don't leave the team. So like I could see a reasonable conclusion in which somebody like Freddie Freeman leaves the leaves the Braves, but it would just be so weird to to see Kershaw leave the Dodgers. And I'm I'm kind of inclined to take Andrew Friedman and his word that this relationship between Kershaw and the Dodgers has got to be less transactional, less like less coldly rational than most employer employee relationships, just because of how much, you know, how much he's meant to that team and, and uh, you know, how much he's done for them. So I think it would be a real shame if he went anywhere else. Especially when the team he's been most, I think otherwise tied to is Texas because of his hometown connection there. But like Texas isn't going to be good for at least another couple of years. And it would, as weird as it would seem for Kershaw to be in a different uniform, to see him toiling away on a 73 and 89 Rangers team would feel even more bizarre. Yeah. Don't want it. Want him to stay in LA. If he doesn't stay in LA, Giants, maybe the Padres. Well, um, if Kershaw goes to the Giants, what about the next person on the list who you have returning to the Giants? Yeah. Kevin Gosman. Um, I don't know. I don't have strong feelings about this. It just seems like it makes sense for for him to stay where he is. He had a good year last year. The Giants were really good. The Giants should be good again next year. And if they are, he'll be a big part of that. I just don't see any reason to overcomplicate things. Makes a lot of sense. And the Giants need a lot of pitching since everyone except Logan Webb is a free agent. So bringing Gassman back, I think Farhan Zaidi has already said that they're looking primarily at pitching. So Gassman would seem to be at the top of the list unless they decide to to steal Kershaw from down south. Yeah. Um, man, what a... I'm sort of talking myself into Kershaw with the Giants uh, just because of how evil it would be. Like, it's it's forbidden and I want it. Um, okay. Eduardo Rodriguez. Here is the other pitcher I have going to the Angels. I think Rodriguez is the kind of pitcher who 10, 20 years ago would have been every Stathead's favorite underrated free agent because he had really good peripherals last year, but pitching in front of Boston's defense, just every batted ball he allowed seemed Mm -hmm. to drop for a hit. So I want to send Rodriguez to the Angels. I think he is less likely to break than someone like Rodon going to the Angels. And like we said, they need pitching, so I want them to get multiple. I could also see him like sort of Julio Tehranning it up uh, in don't even Los put Angeles that thought out. Like, I know we all had it just thinking of a pitcher going to the Angels, but he's better than Julio Tehran. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But will he still be if he gets <laughs> Angels pitcher's goo all over him? Who's to say? I don't know. I So I don't think he needs to stay in Boston, but I think if he leaves, Boston's going to be lost if they don't have him. Like, he's exactly the kind of reliable, like high number three starter that they're going to need on that team very, very badly, particularly if they want to make any noise in the playoffs. So I think if he leaves, that needs to shake somebody else loose to go back to Boston or else the Red Sox are going to be in trouble. Um, Okay. You mentioned Clayton Kershaw going back to Texas. Next name on the list is Noah Syndergaard, who I would like to see. I don't know. I have no idea what to make of him. At this point, I kind of think he's just going to take the qualifying offer. I could see that. Um, I think he might just kind of need to get out of New York. And I think like a one or two year deal on a rebuilding Rangers team back home, you know, no pressure. I think that could be good for him um, because I I think he's still got like ace mystique about him, but we haven't seen that from him in a couple of years now. That's why I have Syndergaard going to a different Texas team, which is Houston, because that works like too. you said about Houston taking really interesting raw talent and kind of giving them the finishing touches, that would make a lot of sense for Syndergaard, who hasn't ever really lived up to 
to what he looked like in 2016 ever since he started getting hurt. Even his strikeout numbers aren't nearly what you would expect from someone with his stuff. I imagine a year with Houston's player development uh, would help him with that. So I have Syndergaard going to Houston. And if it worked out well, he could give them the top of the rotation arm that they were lacking in the playoffs, just like you would want Rodon. Or Syndergaard and Dan living in Dan Crenshaw's congressional district could be a combustible combination <laughs> on its own. Uh, speaking of big right-handed pitchers from the Astros, Justin Verlander's been throwing. We can kind of forget about him because he ha- he's made one start in the past two seasons. Uh, but early reports seem good. Velocity's up. Everybody, you know, from what, what we're reading, uh, getting reported on Twitter, it seems like the, the Verlander's coming back after being one of the oldest pitchers ever to get Tommy John surgery. You mentioned Scherzer to the Padres. I want Verlander to the Padres, I think, for most of the same reasons. Uh, maybe he makes more sense for the Padres because they can be relatively certain his UCL isn't going to blow out again, which has been a problem for some pitchers that they've acquired. But he's come in and validated an up- up-and-coming team, put them over the top once in his career. I mean, hell, you could say that about you say that's what he did as a uh, second year guy with the with the Tigers too. Um, I could see him doing that again. That would be a fun way for him to cap his career. And he's fit the way he he fit in on that 2017 Astros team. I, I could see him being a um, a nice locker room addition for the for the Padres as well. Verlander is really interesting because you're right. It's been so long since he last pitched, but the last time he did pitch, he won the Cy Young Award in 2019. 2018, he finished second, and at the same time. I remember writing about this before the season, the only pitcher to get Tommy John surgery as old as Verlander had and then have any real measure of success afterward was Arthur Rhodes. And Arthur Rhodes was a loogie, not a 200-inning-a-year starter like Verlander has been for his whole career. So he's basically trying to do something unprecedented, but Verlander is kind of an unprecedented pitcher already. Uh, I didn't really have as much of a of an inkling here i think he could make a lot of sense on the yankees and like the Corey kluber that was the team we're I trying to as well. yeah we're trying to rehab a formerly great recently injured starter role i think they could use a, a number two next to garrett cole for as much as we both love jordan montgomery i think he's more of a, a number three or four but verlander would give them a lot of upside when the yankees also have i think enough rotation options that if verlander isn't great or or healthy all year long, like Kluber last year, they would still be able to weather that absence. I'll be honest. I like I picked the Padres out of a hat, but I would be excited for Verlander wherever he goes. I'm just really amped to to see him pitch again. Um, and he could be a difference maker. Like this is what we missed last off season was the guy that Verlander was for the Astros from 2017 to 19. Is that like reliable number one starter who you know is going to start twice and pitch well twice in a in a postseason series everybody needed that including the Braves who won the World Series so any team you know he could go any one of 10 or 12 different places I think it would be just a huge difference making signing and how weird that Verlander Scherzer Kershaw Zach Granke too who isn't part of this exercise because He's no longer quite as good as the others anymore uh, are all free agents now when they are the four best pitchers of the last decade. Yeah. Um, Nick Castellanos. Yeah. I have Nick Castellanos to Miami. I think Miami sneakily has a really exciting young pitching staff from Alcantara to Lopez to if Sixto Sanchez ever gets healthy again. Uh, They have a lot of really fun young pitchers. Trevor Rogers, I should mention. Uh, So I want them to get some thump in the middle of the order. I would be unfortunately pretty surprised if the national league allows pitchers to hit next year. And I think Castellanos as the Marlins DH uh, makes a lot of sense. I want him in Boston or Houston because I want him anywhere where the left field fence is very close to home plate for bit related reasons. (laughs) Michael Conforto. I'll be honest. I didn't have much idea about Conforto, but I thought, that I would provoke the strongest reaction on this podcast if I predicted Conforto to Atlanta. He does kind of make sense there. They could use an outfield given that all of their outfielders from the postseason are now free agents, and I would be surprised if they retained a bunch of them. They have Acuna coming back at some point, of course, but they could use some corner guys. Uh, Conforto could rehab his value down there. Bobby, what say you? How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Uh, I saw, I think it was in the New York Post when they said that. Post. 
yeah, yeah. said that predicted him to the Philly for something absurd, like 146. Six and 140. Six yeah. and 140, which is just absolutely not going to happen. I don't uh, know much about Michael Conforto's free agency, but I know he's not going to get six and 140. It, it's actually weird because I have a I have a hard time picturing him anywhere else, but not because of like all the great memories that he's made with the Mets, but because he is like sort of a blank slate of a player <laughs> and a person like there's just nothing super strong about him that makes me feel like he wouldn't fit on any of these other teams. And therefore, I don't think it would be even that weird if he was on the Braves. I mean, it would definitely be weird when he was playing against the Mets, but that would be true of any team, basically. So I don't I don't know. It doesn't make me as mad as suggesting that someone like like if you were to suggest that DeGrom was going to get traded or something like that, that would make me that would make my blood boil. We'll see. Um, Atlanta's interesting. I don't know that I love it because I think Cunha eventually ends up in a corner and I think Austin Riley eventually moves back out to left. Uh, so that could be a log jam. But, you know, this is sort of building off of Bobby's point. If you made Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall all into one player, <laughs> you'd sort of get Conforto, right? Like, and I, I also anticipate that the New York Post aside, he will shine. He will sign a short deal yes. to try and rehab his value. I wouldn't be surprised if forget 140 million. I wouldn't be surprised if he signs like one year and 14 million mm-hmm. rehabs with Atlanta. Maybe they wait for Christian Pache or Drew Waters to be ready to take a full time starting job, and that would make sense for both sides. And they've done a lot of good business letting guys rebuild their reputation there on short-term contracts recently. So I could see that being a fit. Um, He's another guy who it seems would want to go back out West and because he was a very, very solid uh, college player, I just went Giants. Sort of like rich man's Lamont Wade. Um, But, you know, I I think the, the Giants could use somebody a little more more reliable so they don't have to mix and match quite as much in that outfield. But I, like you said, I don't have a, a strong feeling about this one way or another. Chris Taylor, I have yeah. going back to the Mariners for laughs. They traded him in 2016 for Zach Lee. Zach Lee went on to pitch zero innings with the Mariners. But Chris Taylor, like if they don't sign Brian, I think would fill exactly that role that you described earlier. I think he's a really great utility player, but not the kind of utility player you start 80 times a year he's the guy you start 140 times a year just at six different positions and i think that would fit well for seattle i think he's great i actually kind of think the dodgers might be more interested in re-signing him than Corey seager given that they traded for trey turner last year and given how important that super utility player has been to la they they lost hernandez last year and it would feel weird if they then lost taylor uh for the second consecutive winter losing a guy like that yeah it could I think that that just comes down to money because I think that makes a lot of sense if he's like a $13 million a year player, but less so if he's a $20, $22 million a year player. Um, For much the same reason you said it makes sense to the Mariners if they don't get Bryant. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays if they don't sign Simeon. Um, Otherwise, maybe this is just because of how good Kike Hernandez was with the Red Sox last season, particularly in the postseason, but I could see him coming in, doing a job there. in Boston. So he's interesting. I really don't know. I don't know what to make him of, of him as a, a free agent other than he's just a very good player. I just don't know if he's the role that he played with the Dodgers where he was a, a super utility guy, or if he can be somebody who can hit second in a pennant winning lineup and start 150 games at, at two different positions and, and really carry a team. I think that I'm interested to see what the, what the league thinks about him. Yeah, I mean, Ben Zobrist, who I think is a comparable player, signed for, I think, what, four years and 56 million or something like that. But then mm-hmm. once he joined the Cubs, he was no longer going quite all over the diamond as he used to be. He basically stuck to second base and the outfield corners. He wasn't playing third or center or, or anything anymore. So we could see a similar role for Taylor if he joins a team that has fewer entrenched players as the Dodgers did. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Schwarber. Next on the list. Kyle Schorber, I want to see hit bombs at course, so I have going to the Rockies. Big That'd guy. be fun. Yeah. yeah. I want every big guy to go to the Rockies. Um, I I had him going to the Marlins. 
he's, I don't know. I think he would have been an okay fit, particularly if they had the the DH in the National League uh, for the Reds, but they seem to be intent on tanking. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, famously a Southern Ohio high school sports legend. Uh, but I am going to Miami. I wanted bias for Miami, frankly, but there's just not a, a position for him unless you move Brian Anderson to an outfield corner, <clears throat> which seems kind of unnecessary. Uh, but first base is a little less locked down. I don't think that Jesus Aguilar is the kind of guy that you build your team around at this point in his career, but having Schwarber in there to play first base, get on base, you know, just draw a lot of walks, uh, hit the occasional bomb in a big stadium. Uh, I think that could be a smart sort of like a smart mid-tier signing for a team that's trying to get its feet wet contending. Basically, what I predicted Castellanos could do for them. Yes. And then I think the last player on our list, but certainly not least because he steals bases and very yeah. few players do that anymore, is Starling Marte. I have him going to the Rangers because I didn't really have anyone else going to the Rangers. They have an obvious hole in center field and they need to spend some money and get some exciting players. So I have Marte going there, but I think he will be a really interesting free agent given that his style is kind of anachronistic for where baseball has moved. He was such a good player last year in, in both the American league and the national league, but it's not like the, the A's made the playoffs. So he wasn't able to do that on the big stage either. So he's kind of toiled away in a bunch of anonymous city is so far so i have him going to texas but it would also be fun to see him go to a, a team that has more immediate playoff aspirations as well yeah i really really i don't i don't think he fits texas's timeline to be totally honest with you um like i don't have you know i don't know if he's the kind of guy that you give a five-year contract to and expect him to to be around for that entire that's time. fair another thing that makes him sort of an awkward free agent fit is that he can play center but He's not, he's, I think he's a little short of being a center fielder defensively, which makes him a less than ideal fit for, you know, I think the, the Phillies could really use him just as a sort of to do the things that they brought in Andrew McCutcheon to do, uh, a couple years ago. I think that that's a similar type of player. Um, but if you're playing him in center and you're probably giving up a little bit defensively, but I love him as an on-base guy in a corner stealing bases. I think he could be a great table setter. Basically, any team that sort of in the Verlander mold that like, I don't know where he's going to go. It could be one of 10 or 12 different places, but I think every team that wants to contend in the short term should be all over. The other team I considered for him was Atlanta. I ultimately crossed I it out because, yeah. yeah, I already had them with Freeman and Conforto, but like an Acuna Conforto Marte outfield, if they're willing to spend on that, would be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And I think if you have, I mean, Acuna probably plays center in that in that scenario, so I think that alleviates some of the uh, some of the defensive concerns about Marte there. But yeah, I I think that's that would be a perfect fit, just as a guy who can get on base in front of Riley and Freeman and in your situation, Conforto. So yeah, I I, don't know, I love Starling Marte. This I, this I really like this entire free agent class. Like you were giving it's me crap deep. about this about this class being like all my guys, but it is all my guys. So I would. If I ran a big league team, I'd release everybody and just sign this entire class of free agents. It's like, I don't know when they're going to start signing given this CBA, but it is a really deep free agent class. I think we just went through 21 players and all of them are good, could get like upwards of $20 million. We didn't mention a couple other players I really like. Mark Canna, uh, Kenley Jansen, who was awesome mm -hmm. this past year, the World Series MVP, like there are a lot of really good players. Brandon Belt, if he doesn't take the QO, Anthony Rizzo. This could be a really exciting uh, group of players to monitor, especially if, say, the, the CBA gets eventually signed in early February and then there's like a, a three-week rush to sign everyone before spring training. That could get close to the NBA model. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is what I think happens is none of these guys sign until there's a new CBA. There's a CBA like around... I don't know, like Valentine's Day, and you and I spend the next the next two weeks writing writing three blog posts a day that are just this is a great signing. I love this. This is a great player. <laughs> a lot of fun players in this class. Yeah, Justin Verlander, sixteen. I think that tells you everything you need to know about like potential impact and star value, and you know, and Kenley Jansen, not you know, Anthony Rizzo, not even not even mentioned. 
Last question I have before we go, because I think we're running a little bit long. Was there a team that you didn't remotely consider for any of these free agents? Yeah, I think there were a bunch. You know, I kept going back to the Reds, the Cubs. You know, these are teams that I think have rosters that could rosters and resources, I think, that that could contend, but ownership doesn't seem to be wanting to go in that direction. I, I think that's a, a real shame. And then, you know, the obvious I think the the same goes for the A's too. Uh, but uh, and the, to, to the be obvious, clear, like never around, like you know the the Pirates, the Orioles. So yeah, well, because I realized, like I considered the Reds and the Cubs and the A's, even if I didn't actually make them one of my final teams. I even considered the Orioles for a couple of these pitchers. I just realized I didn't think about the Pirates once during this exercise. So sorry to Pittsburgh fans, but I don't think you're getting any of the top twenty free agents this year. I've seen. I saw enough of these guys in college that I kept thinking about Brian Reynolds. So that's, I mean, basically, one of two reasons to think about the Pirates uh, for the next several years is going to be Brian Reynolds. But all right, sorry to just shit on Pittsburgh like that for no reason at the end of the show. We uh, said Starling Marte was fun. He was a pirate for. Well, that, that was the last time he was on the national stage. That makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, you remember this guy that we both loved that we went out of our way to talk about? Well, you used to have him and you cut him loose. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Uh, thanks as always to Zach for joining me. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Scott Boris, Robert A. Heinlein, and Starling Marte for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next... Nope, that doesn't work anymore. Enjoy the off-season, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>